Cause we got the alternative energy right. nuclear free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Earlier this year we highlighted the work of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons or ICAN, a campaign that originated in Melbourne almost a decade ago. Today we delve a little deeper into the world of disarmament diplomacy, examining landmark United Nations talks that began in Geneva, Switzerland in February. This is part one in a two-part report. We'll broadcast part two next week. Despite the unparalleled danger that nuclear weapons pose to all humanity, they remain the only weapons of mass destruction not yet prohibited under international law. But that might soon change. In February, talks began at the United Nations in Geneva on developing a new legal instrument to advance a nuclear weapon-free world. This groundbreaking diplomatic process will continue in May and August. In this podcast, we report on the progress made so far. Which nations have been championing a ban? Which have been standing in the way? And would this new instrument bring about change even if nuclear-armed nations refuse to sign on? But before heading to the Palais des Nations where the talks took place, we look briefly at how they came about. I'm Tim Wright from the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. I'm Director of Reaching Critical Will, which is a program of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. This is Ray Atchison, a peace activist and disarmament expert, who spoke to me from New York. Her organisation celebrated its centenary last year. It assiduously monitors the work of disarmament forums, such as the First Committee of the UN General Assembly. First Committee deals with issues related to disarmament and international security. So it's a really comprehensive body that allows all UN member states to engage in discussions and to uh, submit resolutions uh, on particular topics related to disarmament and arms control issues. Last October, Mexico submitted a UN resolution to this forum that would establish an open-ended working group the UN body that began its deliberations in Geneva in February. The idea behind establishing an open-ended working group is that it would be a place for states to put on the table specific proposals to move forward with negotiating effective legal measures for disarmament. And so Mexico wanted a working group that would be able to negotiate a new treaty or new legal instruments, is that right? In the original formulation of the resolution, they were looking for it to have a negotiating mandate, yes. And what happened? Over the course of consultations with other states, the resolution was changed to discussing effective measures instead of negotiating. Here, a member of the UN Secretariat describes the purpose of the resolution. To convene an open-ended working group to substantively address concrete, effective legal measures, legal provisions and norms that will need to be concluded to attain and maintain a world without nuclear weapons. Some nations attempted to weaken the resolution further by imposing unanimity as a condition of decision-making, in effect a veto power for any of the participating nations. But fortunately... This very narrow concept of consensus stayed out of the final resolution that was adopted. Which were the countries that were 
trying to, to impose this requirement of consensus? The nuclear armed states and also some of their allies that rely on nuclear weapons in their security policies and doctrines. Also, some states such as Iran, and Iran actually ran a counter-resolution trying to establish a different open-ended working group, which would operate on the basis of consensus. What was its motivation for doing that? Iran and some others uh, in the non-aligned movement really uphold this idea of consensus, meaning the ability to have a veto over anything. To some extent, they see this as a measure that will protect their own interests. But in reality, it just holds back any progress from occurring. This Iranian proposal was essentially in competition with the Mexican proposal. What ended up happening to the Iranian resolution? The Iranian resolution ended up being withdrawn. My delegation, after informing the co-sponsors of the resolution, has decided to withdraw its proposal as contained in L28, Rev. 1, from the agenda of committee. When they withdrew it, they said that the reason for that was that they couldn't get support of all the nuclear-armed states for this resolution. Israel had delivered an intervention shortly before, stating that they weren't supporting the resolution. Iran, of course, has been highly critical of Israel's nuclear weapon program, as have many others in the Middle East, Israel being the only nation in the region to possess a nuclear arsenal. I want to return to this issue of the negotiating mandate in the Mexican resolution. You said that it was the nuclear armed states and some of their allies that were trying to impose the consensus requirement. Was it this same group of countries that were trying to take out the negotiating mandate? Yes, they didn't want to establish a group that would negotiate treaties at this point. This despite being parties to the 1968 Non-Proliferation Treaty, or NPT, which requires them to pursue negotiations for nuclear disarmament. Many assert that the Conference on Disarmament, or CD, in Geneva, a moribund, unrepresentative body, is the only appropriate forum for negotiations. That was another reason they opposed a negotiating mandate for the open-ended working group in the interest of preserving the CD, which is supposed to be the body where nuclear weapons-related treaties are negotiated. But the last treaty that was negotiated there was 1996. No progress has been able to be made there because of this consensus rule. There was a tweet from the U.S. ambassador at the time uh, saying that the Mexican proposal was an attempt to subvert the established disarmament machinery. You can't subvert something that isn't working. If you haven't produced anything in 20 years, I think it's fair enough for the majority of states that have an interest in doing so to try to set up another way to make progress on these issues. This was Russia's reaction to the Mexican proposal. Thank you, Chair. We mustn't delude ourselves. An open-ended working group can in no way replace the high degree of professionalism and the work of experts carried out by the Conference on Disarmament, or CD. It's very dangerous, very risky. Nuclear-armed India, another beneficiary of the dysfunction of the CD, registered its objection too. There are inherent dangers in proposals that further fragment the disarmament agenda or splinter the established disarmament missionary. The first committee meets annually, and Ray has participated in each of its sessions for the past decade. 
How does last year's session compare with previous sessions in terms of the atmosphere and the sense that something is happening? It was a completely different vibe at First Committee. Countries had to start talking about concrete things. They had to talk about how they wanted to proceed with nuclear disarmament, and they had to talk about the concept of a nuclear weapon ban treaty, which is an idea whose time has definitely come and is very challenging for many states, not just the nuclear armed, but of course many of their their allies that have nuclear weapons in their security doctrines. And it became all about the ban. Everything became about the ban. Five of the nine nuclear-armed nations offered this criticism of the Mexican resolution to establish the working group. An instrument such as a ban without the support and participation of the nuclear weapon states would not eliminate nuclear weapons. This resolution attempts to promote nuclear disarmament whilst ignoring security considerations. We do not believe that such an approach can effectively lead to concrete progress. That was France speaking also on behalf of the United States, Russia, Britain and China, all of whom were eager to preserve their control over the debate. Productive results can only be ensured through a consensus-based approach. Some US allies also objected. This is Australia on behalf of 27 nations, mostly members of NATO, including five that host US nuclear weapons on their soil. They complained that the Mexican resolution was contributing to increasing international divisions with regard to nuclear disarmament, including by seeking to marginalise and delegitimise certain policy perspectives and positions. Their strident opposition has, in a sense, helped focus the debate on the idea of a treaty banning nuclear weapons. Would you say that the ban is inevitable? Absolutely. I think that it's something that states that are committed to nuclear disarmament and preventing the use of nuclear weapons will pursue. I think it's the only option available to non-nuclear armed states at this point in time. Ray doubts that nations armed with nuclear weapons will show effective leadership in the foreseeable future, towards a nuclear weapon-free world. They have not complied with their disarmament obligations under the NPT, and they are pouring billions of dollars into modernizing their nuclear arsenals. So nuclear disarmament, in terms of the elimination of nuclear weapons, is not going to come from those states right now. The best chance that we have to impact the landscape on nuclear weapons, politically, economically, Uh, legally, socially, is going to be through a prohibition of these weapons. And that's something that is possible, it's feasible, it will be effective, and it's what states can do right now. And I think that the recognition of that is growing. That was Ray Atchison from the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, explaining the genesis of the talks that began in Geneva this February. On the 7th of December last year, Mexico's resolution, which the United States had dismissed as a non-starter, boldly declaring it will not succeed, was adopted with overwhelming international support. The General Assembly is now voting on Draft Resolution 6 
entitled Taking Forward Multilateral Nuclear Disarmament Negotiations. Will all delegations kindly confirm that their votes are accurately reflected on the screen? The voting has been completed. Please lock the machine. While the nuclear-armed nations voted against the resolution and many of their allies abstained, the rest of the world voted yes. Yes to new legal measures to achieve and maintain a nuclear weapon-free world. The result of the vote is as follows. In favour, 138, against 12, abstention 34. The draft resolution is adopted. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country in Melbourne and broadcast across this continent on the Community Radio Network. The picturesque Swiss city of Geneva is arguably the disarmament capital of the world, though many years have passed since progress was last made there towards multilateral nuclear disarmament. And so when the new UN Working Group convened for the first time on the 22nd of February many diplomats hoped that the long period of inertia had come to an end. It is an honour and privilege to declare open this first session of the open-ended working group. Mary Solomon, acting director of the UN Disarmament Bureau in Geneva, reminded delegates that the NPT and Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty, or CTBT, had been negotiated in the very building in which they were gathered. Thai Ambassador Tani Tongpakti was appointed chair of the working group. Despite the reductions that have taken place since the end of the Cold War, some 16,000 nuclear warheads and fissile material for the production of tens of thousands of additional nuclear weapons are still an unfortunate reality of the world. One speaker on the opening panel was well known to all. Speaking at the UN in Geneva at a meeting that's tasked with kick-starting nuclear disarmament negotiations, former UN Secretary-General Kofi Annan said that the current status quo is not good. I welcome the establishment of this open-ended working group which should aim to galvanise international public opinion and I sincerely hope break through the paralysis which has characterised and stymied the debate on nuclear disarmament in recent decades. This is Ireland, one of around 90 nations participating in the working group. In any other area of life, work or governance, if something wasn't working for over 20 years, or indeed over 70 years, we would try to fix it. We would look to see what was missing and what was preventing progress, and we'd try to fill that gap. In the past, we've been excellent at drawing up lists, but as we all know, just drawing up the list doesn't get the thing done. A long list of actions that is not time-bound and has no mechanism for tracking progress is little more than a wish list. We're not going to wish nuclear disarmament into existence. Our ambition needs to be matched by our actions, not our action plans. And our actions need to keep pace with the mounting risks we all face. The risk of a nuclear detonation, either by accident or on purpose, is probably higher now than it ever was. 
Indefinite retention means inevitable catastrophe. Many of the nations that had abstained from voting on the Mexican resolution last year were present, hoping no doubt to steer discussions away from the ban. Notably absent, however, were the nine nuclear-armed nations. The United States, Russia, Britain, France, China, Israel, India, Pakistan and North Korea. The nuclear weapon states and the nuclear possessor states have decided not to participate. This is Australia using terms that differentiate between nuclear-armed nations within the non-proliferation treaty and those outside. The reasons for this are complex, but in short, a a key explanation would seem to be a sense of mistrust that has developed in recent years. We don't think it helpful to cast the blame for why this mistrust has developed. Perhaps even we should all share responsibility for this. Instead, we urge delegations to look to rebuild that trust. But casting blame is precisely what Australia had intended to do. In its view, recent efforts to prohibit and eliminate nuclear weapons have been divisive and undermining of trust. Austria, just a syllable apart in name, but worlds apart in disarmament policy, responded. I would contend that the mistrust is in many ways not unfounded given the implementation record that we see on nuclear disarmament. And what is that record? In all nuclear armed states, significant long-term investment and modernization programs are ongoing which clearly indicates an intention to rely on nuclear weapons well into the second half of this century. I think the onus, if I can put it that way, would be on countries that have nuclear weapons and rely on nuclear weapons to diminish the mistrust that has been built up over many decades now. Mexico's response was more blunt. I have to say that a group of countries boycotting this open-ended working group doesn't help to build confidence and and trust. Many nations challenged the logic that progress towards nuclear disarmament would be impossible without nuclear-armed nations at the table. To accept that logic would be to give those states a veto power. This, according to Mexico, has been the modus operandi for many decades. It is not acceptable anymore to many of us. To to extend this veto power and that that nuclear disarmament can only take place when nuclear possessor states or nuclear armed states are in agreement is is not acceptable. Indeed, under the Non-Proliferation Treaty, all 119 parties are equally bound to pursue negotiations for nuclear disarmament, an obligation that applies unconditionally. Of course, the absence of nuclear armed nations limits the options for progress but it does not eliminate them. It might be useful, Mr. Chairperson, for this group to engage in the exercise to identify which of the options can advance without the participation of nuclear armed states. And that is precisely what the working group would do. Ever since the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki seven decades ago, it has been well understood that nuclear weapons cause catastrophic harm to people. But for many years, humanitarian concerns had been largely absent from the arcane, abstract debates in international disarmament forums, 
Since 2010, that has slowly changed, as Malaysia explained. The rise of the humanitarian impact of nuclear weapons initiative has been positive in shifting discourse on nuclear disarmament from looking at nuclear weapons from a strategic security and military perspective to that of a humanitarian and moral and ethical considerations. The humanitarian initiative has consisted of three major intergovernmental conferences on the humanitarian impact of nuclear weapons, together with numerous widely supported joint statements and UN resolutions. In March 2013, 128 governments gathered in Norway for the first ever conference on the humanitarian impact of nuclear weapons. Follow-up conferences with even higher levels of participation took place in Mexico and Austria. The Mexican conference in February 2014 concluded it's time for a diplomatic process to prohibit nuclear weapons. Then in December that year, the Austrian conference produced the Humanitarian Pledge, an undertaking by nations to fill the unacceptable gap in existing law. The Humanitarian Pledge calls on states to identify and pursue effective measures to fill the legal gap for the prohibition and elimination of nuclear weapons. To date, more than 120 nations have formally endorsed this landmark pledge. And so, as Austria explains... A large number of countries have, in a way, endorsed the notion that such a legal gap exists. Although any use of nuclear weapons would almost certainly violate the rules of international humanitarian law, that is, the law of war, no comprehensive and universal treaty-based prohibition exists. Moreover, the law of war relates only to the use of weapons, not to stockpiling, transit or production. As South Africa explains... The gap is clearly evident in the international legal architecture related to nuclear weapons, which remains the only weapons of mass destruction yet to be prohibited on a global scale. Switzerland also called on nations to fill the legal gap. There is a need to work on effective legal measures to fill this legal gap. In other words, it is timely to discuss the instruments that would lead to a nuclear weapon-free world. And what exactly are those instruments? The working group canvassed a number of options. One was a comprehensive nuclear weapons convention, a treaty with a detailed time-bound program for the verifiable elimination of nuclear weapons. A nice idea, certainly, but one major problem. For such an approach to be feasible, it would require engagement in good faith from all stakeholders, including the states which possess nuclear weapons. That was Brazil, which, like many other governments, has gravitated towards a simpler treaty that focuses on prohibition, with provisions relating to the destruction of nuclear stockpiles to be negotiated at a subsequent date. This ban treaty, as it is known, could be negotiated now among willing states. A ban treaty, on the other hand, since it does not need to be universal at its inception, could be a more practical way to take forward multilateral nuclear disarmament negotiations. Most nations agreed that whatever legal instrument is to be negotiated, it should prohibit nuclear weapons categorically. New Zealand, which has assessed the pros and cons of various approaches, concluded... The essential element for legal measures and norms for attaining and maintaining 
a world without nuclear weapons is above all the requirement for a multilaterally negotiated global prohibition. Typically, weapons are prohibited before substantial progress is made towards eliminating them. Prohibition stimulates disarmament. Provisions could be drawn from other disarmament treaties, New Zealand said. The specific types of activities to be prohibited are unlikely to differ substantially from those covered in other disarmament instruments. At a minimum, the following acts would be prescribed. Testing, development, possession and transfer of nuclear weapons, as well as the use or stationing of them, plus related offences of facilitation or assistance. Italy, another of those NATO members with US nuclear weapons stationed on their territory, questioned the effectiveness of a ban. Banning nuclear weapons by itself will not guarantee their elimination. But no nation has claimed otherwise. As South Africa explained, the ban treaty would not be a panacea, but rather a step towards the goal of elimination. A ban, as envisaged by its proponents, will probably not contain elaborate or technical provisions, but will simply prohibit the production, use, stockpiling, transfer of nuclear weapons in a non-discriminatory manner. As such, it will constitute an interim partial measure geared towards attainment of a world without nuclear weapons. And given the weight of evidence on the catastrophic humanitarian impact of nuclear weapons, the international community cannot delay indefinitely their prohibition. Governments have a clear imperative to act. In an ideal world, of course, all nine nuclear-armed nations would be involved in the negotiating process, then join the treaty when it opened for signature, then comply fully with its provisions, But this world of ours, bristling as it is with some 15,000 nuclear weapons, is far from ideal. Brazil put forth a clear proposal. In our view, this group should recommend to the General Assembly the negotiation of a treaty that would, at the outset, set the core prohibitions on use, possession, stockpile, transfer, production and development of nuclear weapons, as well as fissile materials for nuclear weapons which could, of course, be later amended, and I hope so, by protocols regarding elimination and verification. Although this option would not immediately address concerns regarding the existing nuclear arsenals, it would constitute progress towards their elimination. By the third day of the working group, the proposal for a nuclear weapon ban treaty had emerged as the most favoured pathway forward. Thailand recommended that it become the focus of future discussions. My delegation is of the view that we could narrow down the options to prohibition nuclear ban treaty. This has been The Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This show was produced by Tim Wright for the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. You can get in touch with us by emailing radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com or find our Facebook page. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for part two.
genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing white fellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Coming at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, Worker Stories and Union News. Grassroots Voices broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network.